Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into another episode of the Money Insights Podcast, the alternative wealth building podcast for high income earners. My name is Christian Allen. With me as always, Rodney, the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, what's up, man? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good, man. The weather is such that I was able to go get my early morning walk in today. It was only like it was only like 37 degrees this morning, so I was able to get out there. Once That's it gets amazing. below like 20, I'm like, whoo, it's getting a little rough. But when we're up in the 30s, man, I'm ready to roll. So yeah. it's sunny 42 degrees outside. I am feeling good. Beautiful. We're actually getting into the 50s. Man. Oh, living, okay. Yeah. Living yeah, high the hog right now. Okay, Rod, I always say this, but I don't think anyone cares about the weather. <laughs> um, and if they do, then you're welcome. And if not, we apologize. Okay. Today, Rod, our topic, we're finishing our third part in the Invest with Benefits series. Specifically, we're comparing assets and strategies and ideas to whether or not we're comparing that's not the right word. We're determining, we're determining, Rod, whether or not they check all the boxes inside the Invest with Benefits framework. As a reminder, leverage velocity cash flow, tax optimization, asset protection, and estate maximization are our core benefits. I like how those so just roll is, off the tongue. Yeah, I'm getting them down, man. I'm, I'm rolling with them. Okay, so the question, Rod, is does the capital avalanche, that's what we're going to talk about today, yeah. capital avalanche and whether it checks all the boxes or, again, how many boxes does it check? That's yeah. the question. Okay. Here's the thing. We could do this about any asset. So if you, if anyone has any ideas and they're thinking, hey, guys, I really like to know if this is a good investment, just, just put it up against the Invest with Benefits framework and make sure that you're checking all or most of the boxes. And if that's the case, you can probably feel good about the investment that you're going with. Is that fair? I think it's fair. It's totally fair. Okay. Okay. And as a reminder, the first in part one, we compared or we determined with the investment optimizer that checks all the boxes. Yep. In part yep, two, we determined that it, with real estate investing, it checks all the boxes. Yep. And now here we are, part three. Okay, part three. And man, we're going to go, there could be 10 parts, 20. Just get <laughs> creative, Rod. We'll get creative. Uh, just kidding. We probably won't do 20 parts. But but really, if there are any other investment ideas, strategies, things that you, wanna, that you want us to throw up against the Invest with Benefits philosophy and framework, man, we are all about it. Okay, Rod, let's jump into it. So Capital Avalanche. Um, as a reminder, Capital Avalanche is the strategy that we use. It's basically our kind of unique version of a, of a premium finance framework. Premium finance meaning that we're using a life insurance policy where the bank is doing the majority of the contributions. They're the ones putting in most of the money. However, Rod, there's a lot of premium finance models out there. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe touch on what makes Capital Avalanche a little bit unique and different from the typical models that are out there. And then we'll jump into the uh, the six core benefits of our framework. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. So 
you're right. There are a lot of different ways to to do the premium financing, and we've done a few of those in the past. What this what the Capital Avalanche represents is the evolution of bringing all the best parts together. Not, and I'm actually going to bring in a little bit from the investment optimizer because that actually was one of the clinchers that makes Capital Avalanche special in the premium finance world. But traditionally, what what it is is, uh, you know, rich people wanted life insurance for estate planning purposes, et cetera. Rich people are the worst, Rod. They always want special like benefits and things just unique to them. Um, man, it's just so painful. But anyway, in this case, it ended up it ended up working out to a lot of people's benefit because hence the creation of this premium finance idea. That's right. Sorry, keep going. Well, keep going. And what happened is they wanted the life insurance agent just didn't want to have to pay for it. Right, right. right. That was the that was the painful part for them, which, which it is for everybody. Like you mentioned, insurance, and people just roll their eyes. And they're like, "Oh man, yeah." yeah like you don't want to be insurance poor. Yeah, right. You don't yeah. want to be insurance poor, and yeah. I don't blame anyone. No one wants to be insurance poor, especially when you think about typical insurances. Right, like you only get something from most insurance. Mm-hmm. I say most because that's clearly not the case with what we're talking about. But most insurance, you only get something if. The benefit pays out, which usually means something bad happened. Yeah, you got sick, or you had a car you wreck, got sick, or you yeah, had a fire. or you're any of those things that are not good. Yeah, um, and life insurance is the same way in the sense that death benefit comes when you die. Good news, everybody. There are a host of living benefits that we're going to be focusing on talking about, but yep. but we don't want to forget about the death benefit because it is a huge asset. Okay, yeah, keep absolutely. going. Absolutely. So in order to, because they didn't want to pay for it out of pocket, uh, they got creative and they said, well, what if I go get a loan and use that to pay the premium? And I have assets. I can use those assets as collateral, Use uh, take the loan, pay the premium. When I die, the death benefit pays out. It's going to pay off the loan, any outstanding loan that's there. And then, but then I'm going to have this excess insurance that covers the need that then takes care of estate planning needs, my kids, my my spouse, whatever planning it was trying to cover. So, but again, as little out of pocket as possible. I, I hate collateral inside of premium finance. And it turns out that a lot of other people do too. Yeah. So here's the good news. No collateral, Rod. We're not going to talk about collateral. Yep. Not today. And the reason is because we've changed this leverage element. And I feel like maybe I should emphasize this more because we've got our six core benefits. The first one is leverage. I almost wonder if we need to change it to conservative leverage always. That's fair. Always. Because here's the thing. like We definitely are not proponents of being frivolous with the way that we use leverage. Yeah, right. It is a fickle friend that we have to be careful with. If we use it the right way, it's just like ultra powerful. If not, okay, sorry, yeah. I'm on a tangent. No, um, that's great. But I, one of the things I love about, and we're going to obviously get into how do we use leverage inside the capital avalanche, but one of the things I love about it is that we're using leverage, but we're doing it very strategically so that we're like getting the this massive amount of impact from it, especially because we're actually using more leverage than a typical premium finance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. solution would. We're just doing it in a much more conservative way so that it never requires us to go outside of the policy's cash value for collateral, which, again, 
makes a massive difference. You think about, well, we don't want to get, I don't want to get into that yet. Okay. But yeah, well, what was we, your thought before we hit on leverage and, and then we'll yeah, what we ran into was a lot of the people we work with because they invest in their businesses and real estate and a lot of things that are not liquid. Well, the bank doesn't want to have a piece of real estate as collateral against this life insurance policy, right? Or, or, you know, business assets or whatever they wanted cash in the bank or a, or a big brokerage account, something like that, that could be, was, was liquid or could be easily liquidated. Yeah, easily collateralized. And, or e- yeah, easily liquidated. That's the right And word. that is not what our clients had as assets. We had a lot of Weird. people who liked the idea, but letting, like you said, this idea of, of having some sort of outside collateral that they, that they can post, yeah, they, that was, just wasn't a, a, a good idea. It wasn't yeah. going to help. And luckily, Rod, we found a solution to that. Yes. So, that's so the good what we're doing with it is instead of, uh, starting the financing from day one, we built the capital avalanche so that the initial money going into the policies are out of pocket. So we get ahead of the curve. In other words, we're we're getting uh, this asset going with out of pocket dollars first, and then once we've done that, we set up what's called hey, a cash wait, value wait, credit. Rod. I've been meaning to talk to you about this. We're going to talk about it on air right now. Okay. Okay. I've noticed, Rod, that you talk a lot about dollars and less about money. Can you describe to me the difference between <laughs> dollars and money? I've got to know. I've just it's been it's been on my mind for weeks now, and I'm like, Rod likes dollars. Tell me about this, Rod. Where yeah, do the dollars come from? It's a good question, and I don't know that I have like a a, a good <laughs> answer for you, other than. I probably just use money, the word money a lot, and I wanted to mix it so up a little bit. So you're trying to switch it up? Okay. Okay. That's, I can, that's my excuse anyway. I can jive with that. All right. Well, um, I assume the dollars and money are the same thing. Is that fair to At say? At least in the US, yeah. And there's a lot of dollars in this case. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry to throw you off. That was terrible. Okay. Bro, that was terrible. <laughs> no my, worries. My apologies. Yeah. So. Okay. Are we the, going into leverage yet? Well, not yet, because we're still doing oh. the high-level overview. Oh, sorry. My bad. We... It's the evolution from the traditional. So we're saying you put your money in first before we start leveraging because what that does okay. is it makes it so that the, the cash value of the policy by itself is enough to cover the collateral need. So you don't have to come hey. up with any sort of outside assets to do that. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to do another quick high level, right? So client has money. They want to put, they're putting it into a life insurance policy. They put the first contribution. Let's just use, let's just use a hundred thousand. Let's use a million dollars. Okay. We want to put a million dollars into the policy and the client then would come out of out of pocket for the first million bucks, Mm -hmm. but then they're done. There's no more million dollars coming out if they don't want to, there might be reasons to put in more money if they would like to, 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 for various reasons for potentially additional security or earlier income, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But but in general, right, you have the ability to put in that that initial contribution, which again is atypical from the from traditional premium finance and that most of the time in that first year they're just putting in a small portion of it. Right. Right. So we're taking on the extra in that front end so that we can then continue to leverage it ongoing, like forever ongoing. Yeah. Which again, is really unique from a typical premium finance situation because normally they're going to do it for about 10 years and then they're going to stop. They're going to do that for 10 years while having outside collateral. And then at the 10 year time, they might pay off that outside, pay 
pay that off and kind of continue on with the policy. But what we're doing is we're putting in the extra money up front so that we never have to do that and so that we can continue to create more leverage ongoing and continue to look for better, for lack of a better word, Rod, to beef it up. Yeah. We're going to beef it up so that that income is crazy high. Yep. Because what's happening is we are using the, the leverage to build the asset. So we have this large asset, again, that's always bigger than the, than the loan, right? And yep. so that, that's number one. And number two, on average, it's earning more in the asset in terms of the growth than the interest we're accruing on the loan side. So that spread or that arbitrage is putting us in a place where, where that kind of net equity, the difference between the asset and the loan is getting bigger. And we get to a place later on where we can tap into that and use it for tax-free income in retirement. Perfect. And we're using an index universal life insurance contract in this specific case. Now, I have an announcement really quick, Rod, because just a couple of days ago, I watched some videos and, on life insurance mm-hmm. and they just did a terrible job. No, it wasn't a terrible job. It was like a C minus job, right? And it inspired me. And so I'm just like announcing to our audience here today that we will be coming out with a, we're going to do, actually it'll probably be YouTube slash podcast. So YouTube slash podcast series that will be specifically on basically life insurance A to Z. Doesn't that sound fun? It does. Okay. I joke about this because people, because you hear, like I I think about the word life insurance and I'm like, that is, sounds kind of boring, right? (laughs) Like, And yet Rod, the life insurance, like the content around life insurance people get really fired up about this stuff. Like the, the vitriol between IUL and whole life is remarkable, right? And then you've got the term versus any type of permanent product. Yeah. The vitriol is equally, equally big in that situation. So anyway, I'm really excited to do that. But um, today we're talking about index universal life insurance. And really it's because of the mechanics of the policy that make it more effective in most situations, I say that, Rod, and you like to use whole life inside the contract too. So maybe talk about yeah. the benefit of using both inside of inside of the capital avalanche. Yeah. So the index universal life we like because we can have a little more high upside potential. Because what's happening is the money, it's not invested in the stock market, but it's using a stock market index like the S&P 500, for example, as the uh, measuring stick to decide how much interest you earn each year. So if the index is up, you earn a portion of those gains up to a cap. But in a year where the index is down, you don't participate in those losses. You just don't earn any interest on the IUL for that. So because it's, again, linked to uh, the performance of what's happening in the market, it gives us that more higher upside potential as compared to whole life. However, because it also has that... uh, little more downside risk because you, you aren't earning interest in those years. And especially because we're using leverage, you're not earning interest, but we're accruing interest on the loan. So what we do is we combine that with whole life. And in most cases, it's half and half to where the whole life is just very predictable. The guaranteed interest, the dividend, while it's not guaranteed, the company's just so consistent paying it. So just creating that very consistent growth to hedge against those times where the market may be down and not, you're not earning that interest on the IUL side. Hey, Rod, sometimes I wonder 
Well, okay. We've been doing like some sort of combination of of whole life and IUL. And and as always, they're always funded for maximum cash value. That's yes. Kind of that's just a given. Always funded for maximum cash value, the minimum amount of cost possible. Um, but my question has been, why not use all IUL, Rod? Why not go? Why not in the strategy really try to maximize income? What's what's your belief or philosophy around adding that other element of whole life? And I don't want to get too into the weeds, but just kind of give me give me a high level. Yeah. yeah so on like the at, at its base level, it helps to I mean, use the word de-risk. It doesn't remove all risk, but it it brings it back a little bit, right? Because okay, but of, the question is, Rod, does it also bring down the 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 overall performance and return potentially? Potentially, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Okay. So you could go either you could like ultimately it's it's well Buck you Buck likes to call it like the like investing in the stock market with guardrails. Mm-hmm. Um and well, it, it kind of works, right? It kind of it's I don't think that the the upside is every bit as high when you add the leverage, but if you were just isolating the policy, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would call it the stock market with guardrails because I don't think that the return inside the policy, a, sing- a policy without leverage is likely to perform at the level of what the market will likely perform over a long yeah. period of time. Uh, but by av- add- adding the leverage element, we can certainly outperform that. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Anyway, okay, let, let's, I don't want to get into the weeds too much. Yeah, I think that gives us a good starting point. Right. As we go through the core benefits, we'll, we'll add a little more layers to this uh, to build it out as we go. Okay, Rod, here's our bold claim. The capital avalanche strategy is the most powerful tax-free income producing machine available. I absolutely believe that. And so as we go through this, we're going to see if it checks all the boxes and attempt to... Prove out that bold claim. I like it. All right, let's see what we can do. Okay. Whew, Rod, we didn't get into leverage yet. I mean, we kind of have, but let's talk yeah. about leverage. We'll do it quick. Um, give us kind of the high level. How is it using leverage in two minutes? Yeah, this is the easy one because it's all about the leverage. Everything we've talked about up to this point, we've is said leverage, yes. is leverage. Again, conservative leverage because we're building an asset the combination of the whole life and IUL policies is our asset, the cash value. And initially that came from out of pocket, but but the majority of the money going in there is coming through the loans from the bank, the, the leverage. Yeah, think about this, right? We put the first year in and let's say I live for 50 years. The bank could be contributing to this policy for, for the next 49 years. That means yeah. that you've contributed 150th. Like that's pretty solid leverage. But what's really crazy is that you're doing that without having to put up anything outside of the policy for collateral. That's wild. I yeah. love it. That's yeah. why it's so powerful. And what that does is it turns that underlying asset. So if the whole life and IUL combo is is creating a five to six percent tax free return itself, right? Because it's leverage, or in other words, because when you calculate your individual IRR, you're saying, well, I put in that initial in your early example, a million dollars. But then later with all the income I took off of it, and then even later than that, when the death benefit pays out, when you measure the IRR off of off of your initial contribution, it makes it more like a 13 to 14% tax-free IRR. 
I just want to remind people, life insurance contracts are built to outperform general interest rates. Yeah. Right. They have to like the competitive nature of interest rates works that way. You can't get put. Nobody's going to put their money into life insurance or annuities or things like that if they're not at least slightly. And again, there's going to be peaks and valleys where where a CD might go higher for a short period of time. But over a long yeah. period of time, life insurance is going to outperform it. So all we're doing is we're using that arbitrage effect to our benefit. And again, we're using it over a long period of time. We're not worried about a singular year. We're worried about what happens over that longer period of time. And then of course, by adding the leverage component, that's where the thing really blows up and creates all this tax free income we're talking about. Yep. So leverage is kind of first and foremost, the key to making this strategy work. Absolutely. And here's the thing. The, the other thing that we, we probably didn't talk about, like, we use leverage for real estate. We use leverage to invest and grow our wealth. And like most wealth builders think about it that way. Like yeah. the question I started to ask myself is why wouldn't I do something similar inside my retirement world, right? It's literally the same principles that I'm using for my real estate investing. I've got an underlying asset. Um, I'm producing a return with it. All I have to do is slightly outperform the the loan rate with my with the return I'm getting, and by doing that, combining with leverage, I, I can create something really really powerful. Um, and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be much. In fact, when we run the illustrations, we're running what maybe a two percent spread, something yep, like that. That's right. Yep, we're using that as the, on that as that average difference over time. Yep, and and that's super conservative, right? We have historicals that show what that is or what that's been. And um, that 2% spread is, is really conservative. Okay, yep, absolutely. Rod, the second one we're going to talk about might be our most difficult, our most difficult benefit. And mm -hmm. that is core benefit to velocity. So question, Rod, how is this, how's the capital avalanche utilizing the core principle velocity? Well, let's, let's talk about real quickly a redefinition of it. So velocity is that turning your money back to you as quickly as possible so you can use it and go out and invest mm -hmm. in something else, right? True. True so statement. the part of the velocity that, that it does do is it returns your money back. So we talked about how this leverage is building and then we get to this point where it's, it's going to start creating this tax-free income coming off of it. And when that happens, that's obviously returning your cash and relative to the amount you put in, by the time it starts kicking off that income, you get your amount back relatively quickly within the first two or three years you've, you've received that. However, the part where it's maybe not as strong as the, a lot of these other things we talk about is it just takes time before we're ready to do that. So if, if I were making the decision strictly on velocity and that money going into the capital avalanche and I need to get it back as quickly as possible. And, and, and I'm, that's probably not the place. Yeah. I'm talking to myself and I'm saying, Hey Rod, how soon can I expect that to come back? <laughs> and Rod says 12 or 13 years later, then and you're like, uh, okay, well, okay. But to be fair, and I think this is important because we talk about real estate, like real estate is just like full of velocity and it yeah. can be, but how many times do we, put money in a deal that ends up lasting 10 or 20 years, right? right. Like lots of people buy a, buy. so, so it's more of a long-term play. We'll give it like a, like a C on 
velocity, yeah. right? Where it's like acing the leverage side of things. It's it's just passing as it relates to velocity. Yeah. Uh, but but to your point, we are putting the money in, and we are then creating number three core benefit cash flow coming back out. Talk about that. Yeah, I said earlier it's all about the leverage. Well, it turns out it's also all about the cash flow. <laughs> Can it be both? It is all about the cash flow. So, well, it can be both, and you're yeah. gonna you're gonna tell us why. Yeah, because when we talk about cash flow, we we often do it in the context of this idea that we are getting trying to build to a place where we can replace our working income with passive income, and that's what this does. It creates massive amounts of tax free passive income. So, as a, I mean, it aces leverage and it aces cash flow because that's really what it does, and. We um, we like to point out the big difference between this idea of cash flow versus the whole nest egg model. The nest egg model being the traditional re- retirement planning where you build up a, a fund to yeah, a, your accumulation number, model. whatever your number is. Yeah. And then you just spend down that asset as you know for your retirement. And this one is not that in fact. Sometimes we'll get people who get caught up in that. And as we're showing them the numbers or looking through it and they say, well, my net equity, it isn't doing great on these, especially in these initial years. In Uh, fact, if I put that million in, I don't, I don't show enough. I don't show a a million dollars of net equity until year nine or 10. And they're absolutely right. Right. Because, and, and the reason why their challenge to me is that matters, Rod, tell me why, why I should do this even though that's the case. And the point is that it's not about the nest egg. It's about the leverage and the leverage because of uh, well, it's you know, it's a combination initially cost of the insurance policy. That's part of it. And then the, the interest on the loan creates kind of like a J curve. So the initial money you put in the million goes in, you might have 800,000 of, of equity right off the bat. Right. Then in year two, we take a million dollar loan to pay year two's premium. The actual cash value went up to 1.7 million or something. But now you have a million dollar loan against that. When you include interest, now all of a sudden you you have maybe $680,000 of net equity. Man, how am I going to create much income off of 680,000 bucks, right? Exactly. See, so so it, it decreases in those initial years. But then when it starts to turn back up, then the upward slope is is really good because of the leverage. So when you look at the at the numbers and you say, okay, well, if I, if I get back to break even in year nine, well, by year 12 or 13, you've now doubled it. So your million net equity has become 2 million. And within a couple of years of that, it's become 3 million. So like I say, that upward slope is is really good by the time we get to that crossover point so that the leverage is just bumping and making things happen. But again, it's not about the, it's not about that net equity because. So the question is why? And, and here's the reason, Rod, the reason is because when we earn our return, we we're getting it based on the total cash value. And if you think about it, right, if I put a million dollars in that first year, well, even if I've only got a million dollars of cash or of cash in the policy, mm-hmm. I've got 10 million, probably 12, 13, 14 million dollars of cash. 
and that is what's producing the return. So now when I get, when I get five, six, whatever the return is inside the policy, let's say I get, you know, let's say I get a a 10% year, I hit the cap. Well, I got 10% off of $13 million Mm -hmm. and suddenly that just blows it up. Right. So now, as long as I, as long as I'm getting more ups than downs over the long period of time, then I'm in really good shape. Yeah. Yeah. And like we talked about earlier, it's, it's the combination. Number one, I always have a higher asset, a bigger asset than my loan balance. Right. So like you just said, but no then outside secondly, collateral. and then secondly, because of that difference on the average, I'm earning more as a percentage of my asset than the interest I'm accruing on my loan. So, so another way to, to say this is when I get to the place where I'm starting to take the income, and I look at my net equity immediately before I take the income, as a percentage of that, we can produce, depends on how early in, if I'm at year 12, then it might be 11 or 12% distribution. If I'm, if someone's, you know, maybe they're younger when they started, so it's year 20 or something before they start taking the income, it might be 15, 16%. But compare that against the 4% rule. I don't want to, Rod. It does it's not even worth it. Yeah. It's not worth it. it. Makes me bored <laughs> just thinking about it. Um, I saw some of the. I saw a presentation that you did recently. I'm trying to remember where it was, but I saw the the actual presentation, and I was looking at the return, the comparison between how much money came out of like a kind of a accumulation methodology mm-hmm. versus what we're doing here, and it was just like baffling. It was like 4 million compared to like 50 million or something stupid. Right. Yeah. Because of course we're at, we were adding in the death benefit, but it was like the living benefits were like 20 million. And then there was another, you know, big chunk of money that came. So like, yeah, it's absurd. Right. Even, even if it performed, uh, 50% as well as we think it will, even though we're, we already feel like we've got a conservative model, even if it performed half that well, it would massively outperform anything that's happening inside of the accumulation yeah. model. The real yep. question for 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 like wealth builders, the people that we talk to, right, is more about, well, do I put money into this or do I just keep stuffing money into real estate, right? Yeah. That's really where the question mark comes in. And so then it becomes a matter of which benefits are most important to me and where. And it could be like for most people, it's both, right? Mm-hmm. They, they look at it and they say, real estate's my bread and butter where I invest. They use the, the investment optimizer to run to as their opportunity fund. But then over here, they're saying, okay, there's different benefits that I can get here. And it's a little bit of a hedge against potentially what's happening over there. So let's just say theoretically something happened that wasn't like the, the, the real estate market was struggling mm-hmm. that wouldn't necessarily have any impact on what's happening inside of the capital avalanche and so you could still create this you could still have this incredible cash flow machine that is either a bridge or just a a hedge against the possible downside risk that comes with real estate so yeah. anyway that's that's kind of what people are usually questioning okay yeah. Brad, i want to get into core benefit number four sorry can i can i hit on one other no point? no you can't <laughs> Let's say we're going to number four. I've, I've had, I'm just kidding. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Rod. So just to build on what you just said, that's probably the most common scenario we see where people would rather be investing in other things uh, as like their core, but then they carve off some dollars and put it into the capital avalanche as a kind of diversification. How many dollars? Like two or three? <laughs> could be two or three, could be two or three okay. million. 
It just depends. Okay. 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 (laughs) Fair enough. And then the other most common scenario we see is people who like the idea of investing in real estate or some of these other things, cash flowing assets. And then they just find that they're, they're not willing to put in the time or, or just whatever, for whatever reason, they like the idea, they just don't ever get there. Then yeah, the maybe life gets in the way. Place. Maybe they're like a, a high-performing surgeon who loves the idea of real estate but can't find the time or extra energy to go out and like focus on that. And yeah. so this becomes obviously a lot more passive opportunity. And that's what it is, right? right? Like Just like any investment, any deal, the expectation is you do your due diligence on the front end, you understand what you're getting into, but once you've done it um, – it's more of a buy and hold scenario and you're just going to wait until the time comes that you decide to start taking income. Um, and that's when the benefit really starts to pay out. Right. Okay. Rod, you're not stopping me this time. I'm going into core benefit number four tax optimization. Here's the thing, Rod, this is, this is the Roth IRA on steroids. If you, if you are a high income earner, if you're someone that likes Roth IRAs in general, then this is just like, this was music to your ears because mm-hmm. for high income earners, there's so many limitations on where, where we can put money that creates tax-free benefits in the future. Guess what? I can just load this thing up with cash, bring it out tax-free. And that's why I say it's a Roth, I, Roth IRA and steroids. I don't have the limitation of how much I can put in, yep. which makes a huge, huge difference. Yep. Um, and I don't have the limitations on the time frame that I can use it. So if I want to start plowing and create income at 55, then I can absolutely do that, right? Yep. Anyway, lots of things to be, but from a tax optimization standpoint, that's life in, one of life insurance's very best attributes, right? Absolutely, yep. We put money in after tax. Once we've done that, anything else comes out tax-free because we're keeping the policy in force. We utilize loans, just like in a home equity line of credit. I borrow against it. I don't have to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. The beauty is, Rod, when we die, the death benefit will go in and take care of the rest and make the whole thing full and finished and complete. Yep, yep. And because the death benefit is tax-free as well, those are tax-free dollars and cents dollars and cents <laughs> all of them money dollars cents it's all tax-free okay rod let's jump into core benefit number five asset protection so the question that i have for you and that our audience has for you rod is how does the capital avalanche stack up against core benefit number five asset protection very well very well. Okay. And on two levels. All right. Great. Great. Well, let's move on to number six. <laughs> okay. Right. Just kidding. Asset protection. Tell us, tell us how. Rod. Yeah. So number one is the, just the life insurance. We talk about this a lot, right? The life insurance yep. by itself brings asset protection, meaning uh, that the what you have in your cash value is protected against creditors, lawsuits, all that kind of thing. Uh, again, in most states- you get that protection. And so that's the first level. You get some protection, right? You get some protection in most states. Here's here's my advice to people. Like, okay, if you have, if you live in one of those states that just gives you like full protection, then great, you're good to go. But for a lot of people, 
the easy solution is just to set it up inside a trust so that you don't have to worry about all of those outside issues. Yes. So even if you're not one of those people that lives in a life insurance asset protection friendly state, you can absolutely still create asset protection inside of the capital avalanche strategy. Yep. Okay. And and so that was level two because, and I mean, a lot of people, when they set up premium finance in general, et cetera, it makes sense to use trusts anyway, as, especially yeah. as the asset gets bigger and you want to have have assets building outside of your estate, especially when this death benefit pays out, we want it to pay out outside the estate. It is very common at some point for people to have these policies owned inside of a an irrevocable trust anyway. And that yeah. gives you all the asset protection as well. Yeah. So, and, and I, I talked about this in our last, or when we were talking about uh, the investment optimizer, it's not about the policy, which that's an that's an element of it, but the policy, the life insurance policy isn't the strategy, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is one critical important piece that gives us a bunch of benefits, but these other elements have to come together in order to create the strategy. And from my perspective, asset protection, and oftentimes to your point, using some sort of uh, trust creation to, to provide that asset protection ends up just being like a, an important part of the overall strategy. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. Rod. Core benefit number six, estate maximization. This one's pretty easy. I'm going to throw you a softball, but here we go. Rod, tell us how estate maximization and the capital avalanche intertwine. Okay. So we talked earlier about how the death benefit pays out tax-free, income tax-free. So That's a big deal. That's a big deal. It's also, it's just a big number, right? Whatever you have in your cash yeah. value, your death benefit is always going to be a bigger number than that. And so we, you know, we often talk about how cash at the time of, of this transfer of a state is important. And in this case, this number six contrasts or, or like balances a little bit against number three, which was the cash flow. So if I'm taking that cash flow and, and taking as much as I can, right, as much as makes sense, uh, then in the end, the death benefit still will be significant will be less than the other side of that is if I didn't take as much income, let's say that I was investing in real estate or sold my business or whatever, and that takes care of my income needs during retirement, and I don't need as much or, or any from this bucket. And so I just let it ride. And, and all of a sudden now when I die, there's this much larger death benefit. So the good news is you don't have to decide that today, what you're going to do with it, if it's going to primarily be income or if it's primarily going to be estate planning as you go, you get to decide to the extent that you take less income, it's just going to provide more at the time of death. You know, when I think about like, if, if I want to become a generational wealth builder, right? Like I want to, I want to create money that can last for generations in the future. This is about as powerful of a play for that as you can get. Yeah. Because again, as we've talked about, the leverage doesn't have to ever stop. I can be 78 years old and still pumping in a million dollars of the bank's money into this policy. Yeah. I can even be, I can be using the money, actively creating cash flow from it, using it, and still pumping bank money into it, which to your point, inflates the whole thing so that it, well, can create a lot more income, but also to your point, creates a huge amount of additional death benefits. So 
even if I'm somebody that, you know, let's say that I have a half million dollar income and that's, that's obviously a great, that's a really fantastic retirement lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, but I could be someone that lives that lifestyle and still manages to pass on 30, $40 million to heirs. Like it's significant. It's just really, it's a game changer. Um, we did this, let's see. So we did, we did our policy, the the initial one, two years ago, right? We put $300,000 into it as a, the initial lump sum. Um, and I don't remember off the top of my head, Rod, but I just get so excited when I see like my, my, okay, if I, when I die at 92, man, we are going to be killing it. Like, (laughs) I don't know what it is, a hundred million bucks in there, something, something crazy. Yeah. Right. So anyway, I'm, I'm a big fan of what life insurance does from an estate maximization standpoint, but I mean, even bigger fan of what the capital avalanche does because it really highlights and emphasizes all of the best parts. As long as I've used conservative leverage and been, you know, thoughtful and making sure that I'm doing it the right way. But to the extent that I do those things, then we are passing core benefit number six with flying colors. I like it. Okay. So I'm going to give us an A on all of these other than velocity. Velocity got a C. Yeah. Um, but I think when you're thinking about, okay, does my strategy investment check all the boxes? This does a pretty dang good job of it, Rod. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Are there any final thoughts? How about you tell us, uh, remind us what the bold statement is, Rod, and then give us your final thoughts. Yes. So our bold claim was the capital avalanche strategy is the most powerful tax-free income producing machine available. And I think, I think we proved that out. Okay. If you have questions, if you want numbers to back it up, we didn't do numbers today, but go check out the web on the website. We have, um, the capital avalanche webinar. And in that one, we'll actually go through the numbers so you can see an example of like what kind of income you can get from it. But all I'm telling you is whatever you think you'll see from it, it's probably better. It's just really a remarkable strategy. Okay. Uh, This has been fun, Rod. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we will hopefully see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.